Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Dr. Zudi Jasser will be joining us. He's the founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and author of The Battle for the Soul of Islam. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. He is a Barron's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Father Leader and its sequel, Shake uh, the Money Tree. It is September the 20th, and on this day in 1881, Chester Arthur was inaugurated, becoming the third person to serve as president in that year. The year 1881 began with the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes in office. He served out his first and only term and officially turned over the reins of government to James A. Garfield, who happened to be a close friend of his, in March of 1881. Just four months into his term, Garfield was shot uh, by an assassin named Charles Guiteau. Guiteau claimed to have killed Garfield because he refused to grant Guiteau a political appointment. Garfield sustained wounds in his back and abdomen and struggled to recover throughout the summer, though it appeared he would pull through in early September. The autopsy report revealed that the internal bullet wound contributed to an aneurysm that ultimately killed Garfield on September the 19th. The next day, Vice President Charles Arthur, Chester Arthur, was sworn in uh, as president. Strangely, Garfield's assassin wrote to the new president from jail, taking credit for the vaulted uh, Arthur into White House. Uh, according to the President Hayes, Arthur's administration was best known for liquor, snobbery, and worse. He served only one term from 1881 to 1885. This was the second time in American history that three men served as president in one year. A similar situation occurred in 1841 when Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, and John Tyler all held the same office uh, in that same year. Dangerous position, President of the United States, huh? Well, a body near, uh, found near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming was consistent with the description of the missing Northport woman, Gabby Petito, and her family has been notified, officials said in the news conference on Sunday. Charles Jones of Denver FBI field office announced that the finding and expressed sincere and heartfelt condolences to Gabby's family. Forensic investigations have yet to confirm the body as petitos and a cause of death has not yet been determined. Authorities also Sunday continued the search for Carlton Reserve in Sarasota County for Brian Laundry, Laundry, the fiance of Petito, but the Northport Police Department said in a tweet Sunday, that the search had concluded for the day and there was nothing to report. Very strange circumstances surrounding this. He drives back from Wyoming in her car, in her van. Uh, he lawyers up. Uh, his family seems to know nothing, and yet he goes off and goes for a, a walk or for a, a hike in the preserve. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of cover-up going on here. We'll see how this all unfolds, but we won't speculate further. Or Amatech, or Aimtech, I'm not sure which, how it's pronounced, uh, one of Earth's largest industrial electronics companies with roots dating back to the Great Depression is setting up shop on the Paradise Coast. Or could the executive office mean a corporate headquarters here as well? Well, they're a global manufacturer of electronics, and they have $32 billion market cap, said Adam Palmer. Uh, when you look at the southwest Florida as a whole, including Naples, this region does not have very many $32 billion employers. To put the Berwyn-based organization's $30 billion plus in perspective among other local home offices, Estero's Hertz car rental comes to $1.4 billion. Neogenomics, a genetic testing firm, moving to new headquarters this month to Alico Road in quarter, it totals $5.8 billion. Boy, they've grown a lot in the last 10 years. And Chico's apparel hits $500 million mark. So not a lot of big companies here on the Paradise Coast. Right now, it's just a C-level executives and their support staff, uh, Palmer said of the bosses, 
who supervised about 19,000 workers whose work results in $5.5 billion in sales a year. That these executives come down, it's easier to move the C-level executive suite in a matter of a few months, and then thousands of employees. But does one usually mean the latter? It is a question. In other words, will all 19,000 vote uh, workers or those jobs be following down here? Often what is that happens, according to Joe Vanrich, author of the report, Why Companies Leave California, and president of Spectrum Location Services, which assists corporations in choosing uh, spots, I can tell you in general, a company starts by moving a portion of the workforce to a new area to establish a footprint, and then the experience, once the, the footprint is established, companies will continue to move more and more jobs to an attractive location. So it looks like uh, they could be moving down here, which would make a big impact uh, in terms of jobs and the economy here on the Paradise Coast. <clears throat> U.S. stock futures began the week deeply in the red as investors continue to move to the sidelines in September amid several emerging risks for, for the market. Futures on the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 557 points, or 1.6%. S&P futures are down 1.4, and NASDAQ down 1.2% number of reasons for the sell-off, investors fear a contagion sweeping financial markets from the troubled China property market. Hong Kong equity saw a big sell-off during the Asia trading session on Monday. The benchmark Hang Seng Index plunged 4% with embattled developer China Evergrande Group on the brink of default. The Federal Reserve begins a two-day meeting today, uh, Tuesday, and uh, investors are worried that the central bank will signal it's ready to start pulling away monetary stimulus and amid surging inflation. And COVID cases, of course, because of Delta variant, remain uh, at January levels as colder weather approaches in North America. September has the worst track record for any month, averaging a 0.4 decline. According to the Stock Traders Almanac, history shows that selling trends to pick up in the back half of the month. So. Uh, what that means is if we've, history speaks uh, for the future, uh, we're going to see more sell-offs in the last half of September. Well, leftists erupted with outrage on Twitter, sun, Twitter, Twitter Sunday after news broke that the Senate parliamentarian said that the reconciliation bill will not include a path to citizenship for illegal immigrants, according to Dreamers, including Dreamers, torpedoing President Joe Biden's domestic agenda. As the Associated Press noted, the Senate parliamentarian said Democrats can't use their $3.5 trillion package bolstering social and climate programs to give millions of immigrants a chance to become citizens, a crushing blow to what was the party's clearest pathway in years to attaining the long-sought goal. The decision by Elizabeth McDonald, the Senate's nonpartisan interpreter of often enigmatic rules, is a damaging and disheartening setback for President Joe Biden congressional Democrats, and their allies in the pro-immigration and progressive communities, noted the Associated Press. This is good news. Uh, they could s probably just follow the law. Wouldn't that be a better idea than trying to uh, manipulate the law in order to get these people as United States citizens so they could become Democrat voters? That's the whole strategy. It's got nothing to do with making life better for uh, citizens here in America. Well, France announced on Friday that the country will pull its ambassadors from the United States and Australia after Australia ditched its existing submarine deal with France in favor of a U.S. partnership. President Joe Biden announced on Wednesday that the U.S. struck a deal with Australia and the United Kingdom that the administration officials said would provide the land down under with the technology and capacity and capability to deploy nuclear-powered submarines. It's a move that, even though it hurt an ally the administration claimed was necessary to push back on China's desire to control the South China Sea. We need to be able to address both the current strategic environment in the region and how it may evolve, Biden said, because of the future of each of our nations, and indeed the world depends on a free and open Indo-Pacific enduring and flourishing in the decades ahead. It's believed to be the first time France withdraws ambassadors from the two countries, referring to the United States and Australia, French, uh, diplomats in Washington have already canceled a gala to celebrate ties between the United States and France in retaliation. Uh, apparently this went unannounced to the French when it all occurred, and apparently it was a surprise. Uh, apparently the French are angry and bitter about the whole situation, and uh, the president is going to make a phone call apparently trying to mend fences uh, with the French. 
this is uh, now a kinder and gentler President Biden, uh, Biden handling world affairs. Pretty drastic, pretty poorly handled, in my opinion. Well, police vastly outnumbered protesters around the U.S. Capitol on Saturday at a rally by supporters of the people who breached the building January the 6th, trying to overturn former President Donald Trump's election defeat. Hundreds of officers patrolled the Capitol grounds and a black eight-foot fence which surrounded the White Dome building for about six months after the attack was reinstalled. Uh, and in anticipation of the event, 100 National Guard troops were on standby and security officials were performing additional checks on travelers arriving in Washington, D.C., its nearest airport, in an effort to prevent violence. A trickle of several dozen protesters arrived, some carrying the flags of a right-wing group, three percenters over their shoulders, and far fewer than several hundred of the organizers had, had been expected. So lots of folks. I understand that one federal officer was arrested, but aside from that, there wasn't a very good show. You may recall that President Trump said, hey, this looks like a setup. Don't go. And they didn't. Folks didn't show up. So interesting. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Magazine, Life in Naples Magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and author for The Battle Over the Soul of Islam. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. He is an author also. He's also uh, written several books, actually, on mainly on past presidents. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. We're going to talk about current global events, as we always have for the last 15 years. And let's start off with what's happening in Australia. Yeah, I'm sorry, where? Australia. 
Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, okay, so, look, we're talking about Australia. We're talking about the deal that the United States made with uh, Great Britain and Australia to sell the Australians know-how for them to have nuclear submarines. It's not clear if they're going to buy a British or an American submarine, either based on the Virginia-class American or, uh, or a new class of British submarines. Um, look, on every level except how it was handled, it's a good, it's a good move. There's no question that um, by giving the Australians the capabilities, I think they're talking about 11 nuclear subs that increases in America's or the West's um, capabilities in that part of the Pacific tremendously. Yeah. And um, there's no question the difference between a conventional sub and a nuclear sub is day and night. The ability of a nuclear sub can remain submerged forever, basically. Yeah. And conventional subs need to come up for for air and um, to, to recharge their batteries. Yeah. So that's a, a big strategic win. Um, and there's no question the Australians have been America's allies, the strongest allies in the Pacific, obviously, uh, since World War II. Before that also, in terms of World War I, but um, very strong allies of the United States, and I think it's a very good move quite clearly. It was handled a little bit awkwardly, let's put it that way, to say the least, in terms of the French, who had a contract to provide the Australians with uh, with conventional subs. Uh, the contract was was running above cost, then was wait was delayed, and the Australians had the ability in their contract to terminate the contract um, based on on this on those conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, on one hand, there was a you know conventional uh, uh, transaction. The Australians said, "No, we're going to get rid of. We're not going to continue with this contract. We're going to go with the Americans and the British to have more advanced submarines." The French, in the French sort of way, overreacted. You know, without a doubt. Recalling the ambassador from Washington is a level really unheard of, let's put it that way, over something that's quite quite a bit less than war, after all. It really is a commercial transaction. And that handled well, no question. The Biden administration should have brought France into the loop earlier. So I'm not really sure what the consideration was for not bringing France into the loop. Um, but for whatever reason, they didn't, and the French really took umbrage at that, and that's too bad. But... Like I said, the French have acted really pretty, um, pretty beyond belief. We're calling their ambassadors both to Australia and and the United States, which is usually a step before declaring war. Yeah, well, that's 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 right, Mike. I mean, they, this the, there's a pattern here, though, because they, we pulled out from Afghanistan without letting our uh, allies know what we were doing. Apparently, in the middle of the night, and people were surprised. So this this is another example of maybe doing the right thing, but uh, doing it in a way that uh, left egg on the face of uh, the French. Well, uh, you know, Afghanistan, it's not really true. We did. We told the <laughs> Allies we were withdrawing, and there's the tactical questions uh, aside, but um, doesn't Trump said we were withdrawing? I mean, there's no, there's no if and ends or buts about it. I mean, at the Biden time, though, at deadline. The, the timing of it was, in other words, they, it was a surprise that the, when they did it. Well, the timing was the surprise was the fact that the, that uh, Afghanistan fell. Yeah. That that determined the timing of what took place there. It wasn't the it wasn't an American decision that that changed. The American decision was pretty much set. Uh, you know, it started with the timing with the Trump had created and Biden delayed it a little bit. Um, but what changed was the fact the Taliban won. Well, the point was, the point is that uh, there's no question that had uh, Biden made a phone call to Macron and uh, explained the situation and what was going on, it certainly would have uh, uh, probably. Probably. On the other hand, I'm not sure the French would still just be, be just as angry. They just have less excuses for being angry because ultimately we're talking about money here. Yeah. It's right. a contract they lost. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's good for America. It's American jobs. It's good for Britain. Probably some jobs in Britain. Um, it's bad for France from a commercial standpoint. Well, so they've withdrawn uh, their ambassador. They've uh, they've <laughs> certainly overreacted, as you pointed out. But what's is is this going to be a major issue for us? Nah, I don't think so. It'll blow over, quite quite frankly. I mean, look, the strategic advantage of this agreement is overwhelming. Think about it for a moment. The to give the submarine, to give the the Australians, basically our capabilities in that part of the Pacific. Uh, you know, we have subs that, that obviously patrol those waters, but our 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 subs have to transit to get there. Yeah. They can't stay on station forever. They have the Australians and have a fleet of advanced submarines very close to China, and I think that's a very good thing. So interesting. It's a so, major strategic advantage. So let's, uh, apparently Russia had some elections and uh, big tech got involved. 
Right. Well, the elections took place today. Um, the rumors, of course, are that the uh, government's pol- parliamentary representatives have won a majority. You know, because free elections go in Russia, that's was to be expected. Um, the more problematic thing was that um, the opposition had an app on the Google App Store and on the uh, on the Apple uh, App Store, Google Play Store, excuse me. And that app had recommendations from Navai, the guy they, they arrested for trumped-up charges on who he says you should vote for. Um, and the Russians, uh, and also there was a YouTube video that did the same. The Russians uh, pressured both Google and Apple to remove them. In Google's case, as far as I understand it, they actually sent soldiers to sort of take, have a sit-in in the Google offices <laughs> in Moscow. Um, and, of course, both Google and Apple gave in and removed the app from the App Store and um, and removed the YouTube video as well. It brings big questions, right? In yeah. other words, you know, we talk about the role, forget about the negative role of, of, of big tech for the moment. Let's, let's put the negative role on the side for two seconds. Uh-huh. But we talk about the positive role of big tech and the fact that it can disseminate information. It can do what, you know, get to places that newspapers and traditional media can't get to. But now we have a situation where, um, as you know, as soon as a country is big enough and the dictator um, feels strongly about something, big tech basically gives in. They've given in China to a, lo- to a very large extent. You can only put in China apps that are approved by the Chinese government. Here in Russia, we're at the same sort of situation. Um, and so some of the good that the good big tech is, can do is obviously uh, balanced by the fact that they're giving in to dictators. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, on one hand, if I'm the head of Google and my employees in Moscow were being threatened, physically being threatened, I'm not sure what I do. You know, I, you. this just popped in my mind. I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but why, why not go ahead and publish the information and put a disclaimer about your feelings or your concerns about it? But to, to just censor like that is just—it's unconscionable. Well, but that's the problem. But they have no choice. I mean, that, that was, the demand was that they take take it down. <clears throat> right. So again, um, it's easy for you and me to to pontificate that they should stand up to the Russian government. But you and I don't have our employees working in a Moscow office with Russian troops sitting there. Good point. Good point. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to put yourself in that place, but it's a problem. It's a very, very big problem that that we need to to realize. Let's put it that way. I don't know how we can come to grips with it, but it's a real, real problem. Um, Obviously, people in Russia can use VPNs and get stuff, you know, make believe they're from other places. But I guess one of the things that needs to be done, generally speaking, is it needs to find ways to make that easier. All right, no question. Yeah. Hey, while we're uh, on that part of the world, uh, the markets are getting creamed this morning. The f- few Dow futures are down 500 and some, and apparently it has something to do with uh, the property values or, or infrastructure in it's China. It's a very large, the largest construction company, <clears throat> I don't know if it's the largest, but a very, very, very big construction company in China looks like it is going belly up. And it was being traded on the exchanges, and um, basically... The Chinese story is they way, way overbuilt. Mm-hmm. And there's lots and lots of properties. There, there are towns that are almost ghost towns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we, we forget about or we don't discuss enough is the fact that Chinese population is decreasing. And a decreasing population is always bad for economic growth. Regardless, you know, one of the things that keeps the economy growing is the fact that more and more people. That's why the United States has always done so well between immigration and a relatively high birth rate that's turned around at this point. <clears throat> America's continued to grow by the fact that more and more people live here, so we have to build more houses, we have to make more furniture and everything else. Ch- you know, China is now in a situation where, because of the one-child um, one child policy from 25 years ago, that now is hitting the people who are of you know of age to get married and everything else, and there just aren't very many of them. Yeah, and people to start households, and suddenly you know there were all this housing that was built and no one to live in it. So isn't there a countervailing pressure though from uh, people that are still with their oxen, they're out in the uh, fields, people that want to move into a more vibrant com- uh, uh, community and it's more almost the, the the rural rural China has almost been stripped of, of its youth completely. 
Wow. In the rural China, is you go to one of the rural rural cities or towns and villages in in China, and you'll find mostly old people. Interesting. Almost all the youth have already migrated to the to the major cities hmm. to seek their their fortune, so to speak. So this is um, not this is not a a market event. This is something that's going to have sustaining problems for the Chinese. Oh, absolutely. Well, one of the things that you know, when people keep on talking about China rising as an inevitable force. They don't realize that demographics play a big role in this. Mm-hmm. And the fact that China is decreasing in size is a major, major impact on, on the capabilities going forward. You know, think about it in different ways. Um, when you have very few, when you have less youth, um, you have less people to pay into the social network, so to speak, pay taxes to take care of elderly people. The Chinese do a reasonably good job of taking care of their elders. It's very much part of their culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have less youth and more elders, that becomes a tremendous burden on your economy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the things people need to realize here, you know, someone came out with a book, an interesting guy uh, said it was one billion, Ameri- one billion Americans. And his whole premise is, the United States is a big country, big empty spaces. If we want to grow and get richer, we need more and more people in the country. You know, and I can agree with that. The, the problem is that we we sh- we need to do it legally. <laughs> we made this right, but, but right, we need to do it legally, absolutely. But in order to do it legally, we have to you know we have to overhaul our immigration laws, even for legal immigrants. Absolutely, we have to increase the increase the numbers and put more money into the vetting process and everything that's involved in that. That's a major effort, and you you don't have, you do not have bipartisan agreement on that. The people who are against, most people who are against, who claim they're against only illegal immigration are really against all forms of immigration. Well, so I'd, that's a real problem because America needs immigrants because immigrants, A, add to the number of people in the country, obviously, which is good. But more importantly, the first generation of immigrants traditionally have many more children than subsequent generations. Right. So I'm not among so those, though. I, I, for one... I understand that. We we need immigration and uh, to flourish and able to pay for our social programs with social security, which by the way is supposed to be bankrupt in another thirteen years. We need uh, immigrants coming into the country, but they need to be legal immigrants and just opening the border in the south and bringing in uh, people that we don't no, know. No, absolutely, absolutely, positively. But you need you, you need to do two things simultaneously. You need to decrease and stop the flow of people coming in illegally, while at the same time increasing the flow of the people coming in legally. And then you might have less people coming in illegally if you allow more of them to apply in a process that won't take 40 years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, if the, if the process is reasonably rapid and is not, and allows for, you know, people without criminal records who are hard workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to make, to immigrate, and we put numbers that are much larger, then you probably have a lot less illegal immigrants. Well, and as long as you don't announce that the border's open, <laughs> come on, come no, on. No, I mean, you, no, you, you close the border, but you say, you know what, At the in the U.S. Embassy in Haiti, we are now going to process 50,000, I'm just throwing out a number out, yeah. I have no idea if it's a good number or not, right. 50,000 immigrant visas a year. Yeah. Sign up, we'll vet you, we'll, we're going to send another 20 consular officers down to Haiti, and we're going to vet these people, and every year we'll allow 50,000 Haitians in legally. Yeah. I'll make you bet the number of people at the border disappears. Well, People possibly. will wait a year or two or three or four, as opposed to taking the risk of going, trying to you know, come into the country and all, the, all the, the risks they're taking trying to get to the border. If they know, you know what, if I wait two years, three years, or four years, I can come in legally. Yeah. Uh, but you need a process. <clears throat> you need, you need, you need, again... Country has to come to decisions, you know. It needs to stop with these slogans. Yeah, agreed, Mark. So uh, I think we probably have a different point of view about how this should happen. But nevertheless, I think we agree we need to grow the population in the United States in order to sustain our economy and sustain our growth and as a country. So uh, we haven't talked about COVID, which is usually the topic we start off with. Uh, tell us about what developments you're seeing. Okay, so the biggest development came about a half an hour ago. Uh, Pfizer announced that. Their trials have shown that the vaccine is effective in children from five years of age to 12 years. Mm-hmm. It's effective and safe. They will then present that, that data to the FDA, I guess, today. And the expectation is in two weeks or so, the FDA will approve vaccinations of children five to, five to 12. Um, that will have a major impact because the fact that the children are not vaccinated, I know here in Israel, it's been a very big problem. Yeah. Uh, because once... Once 
the children have it, it goes back to the adult population, and even people who are vaccinated are susceptible. If you know, if your child comes home with COVID, it, you see the child so much that even if you're vaccinated, there's still so much virus that it overcomes the, the vaccination. It's, the vaccine is great for people you meet, you know, in the supermarket or even you know casually have dining dining with, etc. It works much. It's much less effective when your child has it. And you're over, you know, and your child, you're around your child twenty four seven because he has to stay home. He or she has to stay home from school. So, are you, are the uh, Israelis uh, taking boosters now? The Israelis are taking boosters. About three million or so have taken boosters. The results have shown it to be ninety five percent more effective, or nine, or that's not the correct number. Fifteen times more effective. So it provides ninety five percent protection. People have the boosters. The numbers reflect that. Um, of the people who are uh, who are seriously ill in the country on a daily basis, about seventy percent of them are unvaccinated, and they make up only ten percent of the adult population. Mm. So the numbers are, sh- are showing it. It's unclear where the numbers in Israel stand because this is a holiday period in Israel, and there's <laughs> half the days of no work, and so the numbers are, are all over the place. So no one yeah. really knows where that stands at the moment. You know, uh, um, there's. I was going to say, the information here in the uh, United States is that uh, it's almost disappeared from the papers, at least in our local papers, which indicates to me that the numbers are getting better, and uh, so there's no fear to, no fear-mongering going on. Do you know anything about what's happening with cases here in the United States? Yes, the cases, the cases have plateaued. The deaths have continued to, to go up. Um, the, you know, we're averaging in the United States about 2,500 deaths uh, a day, which is up there high, you know, from from the very beginning, it's in those high numbers. Again, it's mostly, um, it's more in the places that have a lower vaccination rate by far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your state, uh, Texas, and some of the other deep states, deep south states have been the worst hit. Um, but the numbers have now have peaked, it looks like. Um, and, I, you know, I think I'd mentioned this before, I'm of the opinion that, uh, Certain number of people are more uh, susceptible at any given time, and so it uh, it decreases in terms of once the, the speed the speed that it spreads. Um, you know, altogether, the U.S. has had 42 million uh, cases of COVID wow. and 691,000 deaths. And um, let's see the new the new cases last day doesn't give me that number. Um, how many? Oh no, this we were covered. Um, I don't have how many. No, that was yesterday. So, so the, I just point out there is some confusion about the numbers, though, because the number of deaths uh, has certainly the, the numbers have been augmented by people who die in automobile accidents, people who die of cancer. In fact, I have a friend that just said they they wanted to put COVID on the death certificate for somebody that died of cancer. So, I mean, the, for whatever reason, and I don't understand the politics behind it, but apparently the numbers are augmented by the fact that there's misreporting on the reason for death, uh, number one. And of two, as we talked about previously in the show, the PCR test, which has been the gold standard up to this point, has now been declared by the CDC to be uh, ineffective or to... No, it's, no, 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 no. Don't, don't <clears throat> false information. The CDC wants to retire the test at the end of the year to be, re- to be replaced by a test that will simultaneously not only test for COVID, but test for flu and other viruses. So you'll simultaneously know with one test, if you won't be, right now the PCR gives you positive or negative for COVID, doesn't tell you what else you have if you have something else. The new test will uh, replace that and will give you instead, you, you don't have COVID, but you have the flu, or you have virus, whatever the other virus floating around at the time. Mm-hmm. So that would be a much more effective, especially when you consider the fact that we're heading into the flu season. I don't know, they're for some reason predicting a very bad flu, flu year. I'm not sure why. Um, but the idea is to replace the PCR test with a new test that can do all those three things. PCR test is still the most effective test at determining whether people have or do not have, have COVID. So um, be careful with that because it, it really is the most effective test because the antigen test that you can take um, that I'm not, I don't understand why they have not been improved more widely in the United States. And in Israel and in Europe, 
you basically can buy the test at the pharmacy for five dollars. Yeah, there's they're and for sale here the in the United States too. This uh, there are rapid tests available in the United States. You can buy over the counter as well. So uh, now, which is good, uh, <clears throat> but nevertheless, I would say this that certainly the CDC and other uh, p public health officials could benefit by having some sort of a PR or communications <laughs> uh, to to kind of uh, make sure that the information is going out is believable and trustworthy. Well, you know, one of the problems we have, and this is a deeper problem, right? It's you know, you you have people on the TV all the time from the CDC, Rachel, whatever, and I don't remember her last name. Doctor, she's in, the head of the CDC. I've heard her many times on on TV, and of course Fauci and all the other people. But you have a situation where people don't believe the government, right? It's right. Sort of, we talked about this last week. It's sort of back in Vietnam, right? Right. And there's this belief that the government is lying. It doesn't make a difference what it's talking about, right? It doesn't make a difference if it's talking about uh, vaccines or whether it's talking about medicine or it's talking about politics or military and everything else. And clearly the government has lied at various points, you know, or made mistakes. You know, for instance, the mistake being the attack that was made at the very end of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, where instead of killing a um, ISIS bomber, we killed a family and first denied it, and it took the New York Times and others to show that that was the fact, and they finally came clean. Um, and, Viet, you know, we look back at Vietnam, the government clearly knew much earlier the fact that the Vietnam War was not winnable. <laughs> they didn't tell the truth. And probably Afghanistan, the same thing. So we do... So we, there's, we, a problem, there's a problem with believing the government. That's right. And I think that's the first thing that needs to be addressed, is, is believing, you know, whoever, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a Democratic or Republican administration, uh, but the belief that the government will not lie to you, whatever they're saying is based on their best information. Now, remember something else, especially regardless of the story, when it's a fast-moving event, whether it's a pandemic or a war or a terror attack or whatever it might be, the information changes. That's right, Mark. Mark, I, listen, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. I wish we could extend this conversation because it's so interesting, but I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. I do want to remind our listeners to check out your website, HistoryCentral.com. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is a the founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and he's also uh, the author of uh, The Battle for the Soul of Islam. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. <clears throat> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Dr. Medicine. Jasser, he successfully calling. treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Today? Finally, having exhausted all alternatives so for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced uh, both so, of my uh, knees in 2006, uh, I and I now have full range of motion right in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you, too. Well, let me uh, stick you on hold. We'll be on air in just a minute. Thanks so much. School choice is a growing movement, <clears throat> one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. 
Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve in their board. One of the programs is uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser. Dr. Jasser is the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. He's got his own radio show on Blaze Radio. It's a podcast, Reform This, and also the author of a terrific read. It's called A Battle for the Soul of Islam. Uh, Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure, Dr. Jasser. So uh, right now, uh, we've seen what's happened in Afghanistan so quickly. The United States has left that area and uh, left what I consider to be a major mess with regard, especially uh, the consolidation of uh, perhaps terrorist activities in Afghanistan. I wanted to get your thoughts and input on that. Yeah, I have to tell you, I mean, this is why we formed our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, is that clearly there's no military solution, and uh, uh, jihad is not going to be one, uh, uh, obviously, militarily. We can do it surgically with, you know, uh, um, whether it's uh, counter-terror operations, uh, uh, drones, uh, SEAL teams, whatever it might be, but at the end of the day, the problem with what the Biden administration did, it was just so cor- so uh, inherently negligent and and they, you know, they committed an amount of uh, malpractice that's never been seen in the State Department, and and that's saying, and that's saying a lot. Right. And what happened was they just sort of left on a dime, and as you see now, the Taliban took over. So we basically allowed a bloodless coup of the Taliban to walk through cities, claiming we didn't have the intelligence that told us that, which I don't believe. I think they knew that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, there's a way to do it. We could have basically handed over uh, weapons, handed over. Uh, 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 the means to, for the Afghani people to defend themselves against the Taliban and, and also to the Panjir resistance, which still has not been taken over by the Taliban. It's in the northeast area of Afghanistan. And instead, we basically handed everything over to the Islamists, to the radicals, to our enemies, to those who are working with uh, Russia and China and, and, and uh, that uh, work with our enemies, uh, be it the Islamist uh, media or whatever it might be, and as if saying that we could have not done it any other way, which is just completely false. And uh, yes, maybe the the country would have descended into entirely being run by the Taliban over the next two years. Uh, but to let that happen over 10 days is, is an insult to, to what we've done and leaves us at risk because now Al-Qaeda uh, uh, in the uh, uh, area there, uh, ISIS-K, as, uh, which was basically nothing uh, more than uh, some radicals that were trying to exploit the ISIS-Iraq-Syria uh, um, uh, victories in the past 10, 15 years. Uh, but those guys now sort of see an opening for jihad, and the brand of jihad could never be stronger than it has been now as they see America leaving and basically surrendering rather than leaving in victory. Yeah. And do you see a consolidation of these various radical groups, jihadist groups, or, or are they going to be acting independently? Well, it's interesting. It's sort of like different flavors of soda, Coke, Pepsi, whatever it might be. They, they drink from the same type of uh, uh, ideology, mm-hmm. be it political Islam, jihad, left to their own devices, the Haqqani network uh, that sort of is through Pakistan and Afghanistan, versus the Taliban might be at each other's odds from a tribal mechanism, but from a global perspective, they share common enemies, be it America, Israel, uh, their demonization of uh, Western democracies from France to Germany to Canada and the U.S. So jihad divides the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. And the land of Islam is those areas run by Muslim majorities, and uh, they might fend internally through some civil wars that might happen as we're seeing now already evolve with the fights going on in the presidential palace in Afghanistan and, and elsewhere there in that area. Uh, but at the end of the day, jihad is jihad. Yeah. Uh, their, their worldview is anti-American. Yeah. So uh, if you don't speak to the whole issue, we have open borders right now. We have people streaming through our borders here on the southern border. Uh, Afghanistan, Afghanis uh, coming to the United States, many of whom haven't been vetted. Uh, it seems to me we've got tremendous risk right now 
with regard to more violence and more uh, jihad activity in the United States. What are your thoughts? That's so true, unfortunately. The, and, and what are we talking about vetting? You know, still to this day, other than during the Trump administration, whether it was Obama and now Biden, vetting to them is just saying that they don't belong to any quote-unquote terror organizations. But if they're jihadis, if they are those who uh, are have antipathy towards America and towards Western democracy or believe in a Sharia state, they think that uh, as long as they don't advocate terror, that somehow they should be let in. So yes, you know, hats off to the heroes that helped our troops that were translators and assistants, uh, but they need to uh, believe in America. They need to believe in our ideologies, and uh, we can't just sort of let them in because, uh, you know, the, the numbers really don't fit. So far, there's concerns about uh, the numbers that are coming through, whether it's through the border and now through many states. I mean, our state of Arizona is, I think, number five as far as the ones that are accepted, as far as numbers of Afghanis coming here. And uh, many of them are turning out, you know, were they truly SIV types that had special interest visas that were helping us militarily, or were they actually just folks sort of coming with the wave of this mass airlift that happened because it was so poorly planned? Uh, there's no way they could have all been vetted appropriately. Yeah. Uh, Dr. J uh, Zudi Jasser, again, and, uh, as I recall, I haven't seen the video in a couple of years, but it was called The Third Jihad, if I'm not mistaken. Is that the uh, documentary that you published? Yeah. Our, we worked with the Clarion Project in making a video called, a documentary called The Third Jihad that had multiple parts that included radicalization issues in prisons in America, radicalization related to the Muslim Brotherhood and organizations like the Muslim Student Association and Islamic State North America, and also what are some of the solutions and that us reformers are working on. And it's called the Third Jihad because jihad now is coming through in its last in the 20th century, now 21st, into a permutation of sort of these militant groups that are, are grown out of the Muslim Brotherhood on the Sunni side and the, on the Khomeinists on the Shia side. And regardless of which side, they they are all about jihad. Yeah. And the jihadists are not only these granular groups that are uh, grassroots uh, uh, viral Islamists, but also whether it's Turkey and its uh, uh, you know theocracy now from a democracy that is run by Erdogan, or whether it's Qatar, whether it's uh, uh, the Islamic Republic or Iran, these countries are ascending jihadi countries that are not compatible with American ideas and security. Yeah. Again, the third jihad, I just uh, go to Google or to go to uh, uh, one of the Rumble and, and look for the third jihad a documentary, which is just really powerful and it helps to understand the risk that exists even before all this happened uh, here in the United States. Doctor, And again, the name of the book is A Battle for the Soul of Islam. I've read it. It is terrific. And I just encourage you uh, to uh, get a copy, A Battle for the Soul of Islam by Dr. Zudi Jasser. Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Man. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Jasser. And again, he's in Phoenix, Arizona. What ungodly hour he's up in order to visit with us. We just genuinely appreciate All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Luke Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. 
Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired. He wrote a couple of great murder mysteries. Really great, uh, great writing, Jim. It's called uh, Father Leader, his first book and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hi, Bob. It's uh, great to be here this uh, sunny morning. And you're up in Pennsylvania. And by the way, if I didn't mention your last name, it's Jim McTagg, so I want to make sure listeners know that for the purposes of getting a copy of the book. So, uh, uh, in, Yeah, in May, after 35 to 40 years in, inside the Beltway covering politics, I retired to uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I have a developing an outside the Beltway uh, perspective yeah wow. kind of it did you see a lot of pennsylvania dutch up there almost uh, i do i mean uh, i went out last night and saw a traffic jam in the other direction and at the head of the traffic jam was a uh, young guy and his girl in a horse and buggy <laughs> only in amish country mm-hmm. so jim uh what's top of mind for you today well the um the crisis at Del Rio with all the Haitians, you know, you don't think Haitians from South America, what's going on here. It's actually, um, you know, it's not just a breakdown of uh, Biden's uh, ability to manage immigration. I mean, he exacerbated the situation by, uh, by uh, encouraging people to come illegally to the United States. Uh, but, but there's another story below the surface, and it's his total failure of Latin American policy. And it was, I think it was driven home this weekend. Uh, there's, there's a group in, uh, of Latin American countries. It's called the uh, Community of Latin American and Caribbean States. It, its members are most of the countries in, in Latin American and the Caribbean, with the exception of uh, Brazil. Uh, which is important. Brazil's another story. But anyway, the head, the head of this organization, uh, Mexico heads this organization this year, and they invited China's President Xi to give a video speech at the summit. Uh, but, you know, Biden wasn't invited to give a speech. And uh, the reason is that China has made tremendous uh, inroads mm-hmm. in uh, South America, its influence is, is really uh, much larger than most Americans appreciate. So, for example, Chile, uh, which is a source of a lot of the Haitian immigrants, uh, Chile's largest trading partner is China, and China is rewarding Chile by building a, uh, a vaccine plant uh, there so that China can distribute its vaccine to Latin American countries, COVID vaccine. I mean, so, so China, you know, inflicted this virus on the world and now it's trying to make political hay yeah well and and it's uh, this that's kind of an object lesson and understanding what's happening around the globe with regard to china everything from uh the uh, arctic circle to uh it doesn't matter what continent you go to whether it's africa or asia you're going to find the chinese implementing the same strategy which is uh investing money in the area money that they can't possibly pay back and, and gaining favor, therefore, from the countries that's, that are receiving the money. 
now, now the other country where most of the Haitians came from. These are these are Haitians who have lived in these countries for years. Yep. This has nothing to do with the recent turmoil and earthquakes in Haiti. Right. Uh, these people, uh, Brazil, you know, these Haitians uh, were on the margin in both countries. They had jobs, but, the, you know, it was a tough life. <clears throat> and somehow, some organizations, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it, started sending them uh, uh, videos and, and you know, social media posts telling them how to get to the United States, how to avoid checkpoints in Mexico, uh, and, and how, how to apply for asylum and how, how they would have the good life in America. Uh, you know, so I, to me, it sounds sounds like our enemies are encouraging a crush at the border. Yeah. Uh, now, with Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, who is called the Trump of uh, South America, his gripe with Biden is Biden keeps telling the Brazilians how they should live their lives. And, uh, you know, in order for the world to meet its global warming goals, uh, the Amazon has to stop shrinking. The deforestation in the Amazon has to cease. And there has to be reforestation, according to the scientists. So Bolsonaro says, pay us a billion dollars, you know, and we'll stop the reforestation. Um, he has a point. Yeah. Because the world is demanding. Now, see, uh, that's an interesting problem that you just described because it's different from the typical view of uh, carbon dioxide and uh, the whole notion of getting rid of carbon-based fuels in, in order to uh, make sure that we don't have uh, polluting. There, I mean, since we've destroyed the forest, that has really created a problem because it ha you can't. <laughs> we don't have enough photosynthesis going on, quite frankly. We need more c carbon dioxide uh, to fuel the oxygen that's coming into our atmosphere. Yeah, and, and just to get a little off point, we're hypocrites because uh, when you see the fires in the West, a lot of those fires are caused by poor forest management, and we let these uh, wealthy Californians, you know, build their uh, their mansions in the hills. That's so, right. I, I mean, essentially, we deforest our country, you know, and and we could we could reforest our country, uh, you know. Uh, instead of dictating to Brazil what it should do. And this is, this is the crux of the problem uh, with U.S.-South American relations under Biden. Yeah. And it really underlies the whole problem with the Democratic Party. They haven't gotten any better with France either in the last couple of days. <laughs> no, no and, and, and Biden at the beginning of the year said, America is back. He's yeah. reestablishing EU relations. But... You know the point. The point is the Democrats are always dictating to others how they should live their lives, and it, it's just not uh, with people here uh, regarding masks and vaccines. And 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 you know I've got the vaccines. I wear a mask, um, but I'm not going. I don't feel like I should impose my values on everybody else. I mean, uh, you have people with with salient ar arguments, but. Uh, uh, but Biden tries to politicize disease. <clears throat> He's trying to politicize the climate. He's try telling these, uh, telling the Mexicans how they should uh, live their lives, and in, in, you know, in Mexico, which is a left-wing country. We're trying to do it in Afghanistan too, but that didn't work out so well. Yeah, right. But but I I mean, uh, uh, both Brazil and Mexico depend a lot on fossil fuels. Yeah. And so um, so when Biden is is telling them, you know, you have to. Uh, go electric he's threatening their economies yeah um, jim jim i just just genuinely appreciate your comment here on the show wish we had more time to uh, to explore these topics because they're so interesting but i do want our listeners to uh get a copy of a couple of great books uh, by jim jim mcdegg the author of follow the leader and its sequel shake the money tree jim i really appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much for joining us thank you bob my pleasure indeed well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, our state senator, Kathleen Pasadena, will be joining us. Uh, we'll visit with Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, author of Greetings from Paradise, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.